the volume. The Sessions is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. There's no better place to make every moment more than with FanDuel. They're America's number one sportsbook for a reason, y'all. It's so easy to use. It's safe and secure. That's one of the main things for me. I don't want any BS. I love that there's no BS with FanDuel. Plus, you get your winnings fast. Now winnings are delivered in as quick as two hours. Plus, it's super fun to combine multiple bets from the same game into a same game parlay. It's awesome. So if you are new, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started now. Sign up with the promo code Renee, that's R-E-N-E-E, so that they know that I sent you. Disclaimer, 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, Wyoming, or West Virginia. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777, or visit ccpg.org slash chat for Connecticut, 1-800-GAMBLER, or visit fanduel.com slash RG for Colorado, Iowa, Indiana, Illinois, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Virginia, 1-877-770-STOP for Louisiana, 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan, 1-877-8-HOPE-NY, or text HOPE-NY for New York. Tennessee Redline, 1-800-889-9789 and 1-800-522-4700 for Wyoming. Visit www.1800gambler.net for West Virginia. Hey guys, welcome to the sessions. We are back. We're in business. Spooky sessions are behind us. Time to repair some Christmas episodes. But until we get there, don't worry, I'm not going to like bombard you with that stuff at least until after Thanksgiving. Today on the show, I have on the one, the only, Ben Askren. He is just, a, you know, an absolute badass in the world of combat sports and MMA and wrestling. He has kind of done it all, and he's done it all his way, which is honestly the most fascinating thing about the guy. He's been such a polarizing figure in the sport for such a long time. Uh, and he just released a brand new book called Funky, My Defiant Path Through the Wild World of Combat Sports. Um, we had just a great chat just about like who he is as a person kind of swimming upstream throughout his entire career um, from his time in wrestling, in high school, in college, to then dabbling into MMA through Bellator, one championship, and then eventually, of course, landing in UFC. And then on the other side of things, getting into the boxing world fighting Jake Paul. We got to see that fight uh, not too, too long ago. Uh, But the guy's just had such an amazing career and uh, just a ton of fun to talk to. The guy's just like an outside the box thinker, um, especially when it comes to uh, the the athletic side of things. So it was a lot of fun to be able to pick his brain on exactly who he is. I also think I may have convinced him to dabble in pro wrestling. We'll see. (laughs) All right, guys, here he is. This is Ben Askren. What's going on? Uh, I'm good. I had a, my podcast for Flow Wrestling Radio Live this morning, and then I went and got a quick workout in, and then I showered, and here I am. <laughs> Just getting it done, checking it all off. Are you like on the media circuit right now with your book being out? Are you like a little talked out about it? No. I, uh, well, I'm excited. I said to talk to you because uh, you're not from the MMA background. I've only talked to a couple people not from the MMA, so it's always interesting like hearing another perspective. Um, but yeah, we did that last week, and then I've been doing a few other interviews, uh, but no, it's not too much. So you have your new book. Um, let me, of course, pull up. I know Funky, but I don't want to mess up the rest of it. So Funky, My Defiant Path Through the Wild World of Combat Sports, um, which there it is. Great title. Oh, yeah. It's my wife's copy. <laughs> so it's funny. So I also released a book through um, Permuted Press. Um, so same, same deal. And I also gave them a title. Mine's longer than yours, but they're like, can you make it not a run on sentence for this title? And I was like, listen, I can't pick one. Did you have a hard time figuring out what you wanted the title to be? Cause I felt like that was the hardest part. Yeah, I agree. Cause it just, um, it feels like there's nothing that fits, you know? And then, uh, when me and uh, the other guy helped me write this, when we came up with this, I was really happy and I, I thought it, it sounds good and it's very descriptive of what I feel my career was. I'm a big fan of like that little like subtitle. It's like, here's the gist, yes. but da 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 da, having that little sentence yes. on there. Um, so the book is out already on Amazon bestseller. 
Yeah, thank you. Hell yes. Um, how excited were you when you were able to like open up your phone, your computer, whatever, to like see that news? It was cool because I actually started this as a Corona project. You know, we had our, so my brother and I owned five wrestling academies and they got shut down and we couldn't do anything. I was like, oh man, what am I going to do? I need to stay busy. Uh, I don't do well being not busy. And so I was like, hey, uh, how about I write a book? And so I contacted uh, one of the, my favorite MMA writers and I said, hey, do you want to do this? And he said, yes. And we got started. And I thought, you know, I don't know, six months, nine months, we'll be done with it, you know? And uh, yeah, now two plus years later, we are, we're done with it. <laughs> It really is crazy, like what that process is like from like conception of, oh, I'm going to start doing something like I wrote a cookbook. So mine was like a different where I was like, also, I didn't know how to write a cookbook, but (laughs) it was less pen to paper. I was like trying out recipes, whatever. But yeah, when you like actually start. So had you been like documenting stuff the whole like through your whole career? Were you big into that? Not really. I mean, I had done a bunch of vlogging. you know, and maybe a couple of years ago, I, I don't do it anymore. But no, never really kind of documenting. It's, I, got, I kind of got a good memory. And I, I, I feel like when <laughs> we were going through my life, I remembered it all relatively correctly. Um, once we were finished with the book, I let my wife and my mom and my dad and my brother and my high school wrestling coach, I let them all read it. And, you know, there was very minimal changes that they suggested. And I, and I think the few, they weren't factual, right? They were like opinion pieces or, hey, maybe you should add that. You forgot about this little thing. You know, because one of the things I think when you're writing a book, when you think about your life that you don't realize is, number one, what's meaningful to other people? And I'm sure this happens to you when you meet someone, you know, you meet someone and they'll say, oh, 15 years ago, this and this happened. And you said this and you're like, wow, like I totally forgot about that because it was just like something that happened. It wasn't that meaningful, but to that person it was. And then number two would be you're writing your book. It's like, oh my God, there's like seven other stories I could tell on every story. You know, I could just keep going. And you right, gotta, it's hard to like stay on track. Yeah, you got to cut it down because you realize like, you know, all this was my life. But if it's a thousand pages, no one's going to read it. You know, mine's, I think it's like a 196, <laughs> yeah. I think is what my book is. And it's like, yeah, feels long, you know, but it feels like on every single little bit, I could like, I could talk more about this person that helped me or I could tell the, the rest of this story and Yeah. So the whole thing kind of felt like that. Thank God you were able to like remember as much as you did. I mean, not only given your profession, but like in general, like my, my mind. Was that a brain trauma joke? (laughs) I feel like I can get a pass with that. So my husband's a professional wrestler and he also wrote a book through uh, Permuted Press. And he's like, you were like his memory. He remembers everything in like minute detail. Like he can really like hearken back to certain things. I'm so not that way. And <laughs> I don't think I've ever been hit in the head. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's funny. I think when you're like kind of going back through those stories and like being like, like especially as time passes too, like, do, am I remembering that accurately? Yeah. Did that go the way that it did? Were you a little bit nervous passing the book off to your friends and family and stuff um, to see how that was going to match up? Hmm. No, I, I think... Um Man, I, I, maybe I'm crazy and I'm biased and I thought I nailed it, but I, you know, I, I feel like I got <laughs> mostly it. factually correct. Um, <laughs> so no, I wasn't too nervous on that part. And I, you know, I think there, there was one part that my, my wife really hated. Um, and we actually made that not factually correct to what it was. And the, the thing was, in high school, um, I had this big, obnoxious hair, um, really huge afro. Uh, oh yeah, I think I think it's in the book picture somewhere. Um, and well, I was rewatching your documentary the other night too, and I was like, "Look at that thing just go through the helmet!" Like, wow, what a piece. Yeah, let's see if I can find it for real. But so, oh yeah, right here, this is perfect. <laughs> Look at this. Look at that hair right there. <laughs> Crazy. So I had this big obnoxious hair, and wrestling fans they hated it. You know, they want people to be like short haircut, real serious all the time, and that's not who I was. And I could take, I could always take the heat. I didn't give a damn what people said. Um, but my mom was more like, she felt it more than me. You know, when people said something bad about me, she felt it and I didn't. I was like, roll, roll off my back, whatever. I don't give a damn. So there's this one conversation where we had where she had a picture of me and she's like, look how ridiculous you look. Everyone thinks you should cut your hair. And I remember saying, I don't know if I can swear on this pot. Should, should, yeah, go for it. Okay, you're swear. good. I, I remember I said, mom. I'm not cutting my fucking hair because some people want me to. That's not going to happen, you know? And my wife hated that sentence because my mom actually didn't care because my mom knew that that's what happened, you know? And we wrote it as such. And then my wife said, you know, there's going to be high school kids and middle school kids reading this book and they can't hear you speaking that way to your mother. (laughs) And you know what? I actually agreed with her, um, although... 
um, you know, it, it is what factually happened. So we changed it to be like, I'm not cutting my stupid hair or something to that effect, a little less, more benign. Gosh, good for you and good for her. Um, I know you have, you've got kids, young kids. Um, I have a daughter. She's only 16 months right now, a year and a half. I don't, when do you stop saying the months? I don't know. Anyways, um, do you ever swear around your kids? I think about this all the time. I do. I do. Have they picked up on it? My wife, I debate this a lot because I'm not emotionally tied to my position, but I think logically I am. So her family never, ever, ever swore. None, like zero almost. And my family swore significantly. And, um, you know, and so I, where I take it as two things. I said, number one, um, hopefully my kids should be intelligent enough to, to understand the situation. Because, for example, I don't swear when I'm coaching little kids at the wrestling academy. I don't swear. I'm not their parent, so I'm not going to determine what they should and shouldn't hear. I'm just not going to say it. So that would be, you know, I understand position and time. And then number two, I think tone matters. Because you can say something hatefully with a swear word, and you can say something hatefully without a swear word, but you're still saying it hatefully. You know, so it's like tone matters, time and place matter, all that stuff matters. And I, I view them as just words. See, I'm the same way. Like, I don't really overthink it, but like every day I'm like, oh my God, I need to stop swearing <laughs> around my daughter. Like, I'll be yelling at the dogs. I'm like, this motherfucker. Like, I'm like, oh my God, I need to stop. Because she's like, I mean, she's really starting to pick up words. I'm like, she's just going to start rattling these off. But like, I'm kind of on your boat, or on the same boat as you, where it's like, think like trying to let them know like all right this is when you swear also it's not for you I'm allowed to say it you can say it you know when you're older or whatever but yeah it's crossing that bridge but it's like as a new parent I'm always like oh god what what are the rules yeah my oldest is nine and a half going on ten and she's she's kind of bright and she you know she hates it when I swear and so I, I try not to do it around her but sometimes it's like hey Alex I'm an adult and I, I can swear I don't expect you to swear at this point, but you know, if, Hey, you get to be a teenager and you know, so we've had this talk, the same talk that <laughs> her, you know, me and Amy, my wife have, I've had with her cause I think she's intelligent enough to hear it now. And you know, she chooses not to swear. So whatever, that's fine. Which is nice. It's nice. Yeah. See, I kind of place a little bit of the blame on my mom because when we were really like, when we were really little, my mom swears like a sailor too. Um, but when we would like say I'd like stub my toe or hurt yourself, or she goes, okay, you got one minute where you can say whatever you want. And we would just <laughs> let it fly. But it was like for that time in that moment. <laughs> Anyways, a colorful uh, vocabulary. Apparently it's funny. a sign of intelligence. I don't know. That, that's the one I try to use. And, and, and they've been proven you're more trustworthy also. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, there, there's correlation between trustworthiness uh, and intelligence. And follow I like that. I'm like a vault. Yes. I think I'm pretty trustworthy. You trustworthy? Uh, I believe so, yes. I didn't really intend on this going into a, a thing about swearing. But anyways, back on track, back to the book. Um, what was the hardest part to write for you? Was there anything like revisiting story-wise that was like dredging up some stuff that maybe you didn't want to think about or talk about again? No, I mean, obviously, you know, I had a couple of losses I didn't really love at the end of my career. And so having to rehash those, um, was, it's not ideal. But yeah, it wasn't that bad because I, I, I'm like, you know, I think one of the things people really enjoyed about me when they got to know me was just like, I'm a reality guy. Like, hey, if it happens, it happens. And then once it happens, it's not like you can change it, you know? So you just, that happened. You're going to live with it. You're going to accept the fact that it happened. You're not going to dwell on it. Um, and you're going to move on. And so, you know, I think I'd come to peace with some of those things that happened. And I think that's what some people appreciate about me because I think... I think there's two things. There's a lot of people who have a lot of trouble getting over something like that, and they just keep reliving it and they keep dwelling on it. And then even more than that, I think there's a lot of people who never start things because they have a fear of what may happen, right? So they'll never even do it. They'll never even put themselves in that position because they're scared. What might happen if I try this or do this? You know, I could fail. This could happen. People might talk about me. And it's like, dude, it's like live your life the way you want to live your life and then deal with the repercussions. I mean, that seems like it's obviously been your motto from like day one. You have done you to the fullest. You do things your own way entirely from from your wrestling style to who you are as a person. Um, obviously a very confident man. Has there ever been a time that you like weren't confident? That you like struggled uh, yeah, with some stuff? Like no, what? of course. Um, well, I think early, so early in my life, and one of the things I love about sport wrestling is I think it was the first place to give me a lot of confidence mm -hmm. because I figured out that if I worked hard and I put my mind to something, I could be good at it, right? And I was just kind of like, I, 
And this is why I think I dealt with failure well later. Because when, when I was young, I wasn't like one of those prodigy kids where everyone's like, oh, he's going to be really, really good. Or he's this. or he's, I was, Prodigy. I was, I've never heard that word before. Oh, so I said, I said, I said sometimes I speak to us as a prodigy. Oh, prodigy. <laughs> yeah, I was like, what's prodigy. prodigy? Is that a term I don't know? Prodigy. Gotcha. <laughs> uh, my bad. Um, yeah. So I was never that kid. And so I just was like, hey, I'm going to keep showing up, but I'm going to keep trying to get better. And that, that's who I am. And so I, I think I developed confidence through wrestling is like, if I work hard and I do the right things, then I'm going to start seeing positive results from what I'm doing, you know? And then I learned, I learned to take that into other areas of my life. If I just work hard and I do the right things, um, I, I mean, you know, I'd be a problem solver. I figure out what's the problem. How do I solve it? That stuff's going to work in my favor a lot. Um, and then I guess I talk, I talk a lot, uh, cause I coach all eight, you know, I coach five through 18 years old now. And I, I help our college guys a lot too, but middle school is the worst for everyone. I think oh my middle God. school kids are just mean. The worst. <laughs> they're the worst. They're just this <laughs> level of like, they're not mature yet. They're kind of insecure still. And so they like take those insecurities and lack of maturity out on, on other people because they're feeling it themselves and they don't want people to look at them. Um, so I, th- I think everyone had that, but growing up now, I mean, I would say I felt like some insecurity and a little bit of lack of confidence compared to where I felt my other times in my life. But when I compare that to what other people said they felt, like mine was minor. You know what I'm saying? Like other people were paralyzed by what do I wear to school today, for example, or who do I go hang out with or, you know, things like that. And like, I mean, I'm sure I felt those things a little bit, but not not to this the level or extent that other people did. Yeah, I, I know. I can kind of like relate to that too, where like, I feel like I always kind of knew where I fit into a degree or like, I've never really had a hard time like making friends. So like that was never too much of a difficult thing for me. So yeah, I know when you hear those stories about other people, like just like struggling with social anxiety or trying to fit in, like you said, like thinking about like just simple things, like what to wear, like, oh my gosh, these poor kids. Yeah. Middle school <laughs> is rough. It is rough in those middle school streets. Yeah. And I think that a lot of that comes from parent, you know, parents too, just like, and, you know, I had great parents. Unfortunately, not everyone does who just, you know, the kids have a sense of like they're loved and they're going to be taken care of. And then, you know, so if they don't maybe they don't fit in at school, it's not the end of the world. Right. Because they still have their family. Um, you know, so I was I was, I guess, lucky in that way. Um, and maybe not everybody is. Gosh, you know, it's funny. I was um, uh, I'm assuming you're are you friends with Misha Tate? I know her. I don't know. Oh, like, okay. Friends might be a little too much. But yeah, I mean, like I'm friend, friendly with her, I would say. I just like kind of assumed through like one championship and stuff that maybe you guys would have. Did you guys cross paths there? I left before she came over, I believe. I think that's, yeah, if I'm, I'm close there. Okay. Yeah. Cause she had just sent me this podcast to listen to on like parenting. Uh, and it was this whole thing about that of like creating like that. Uh, this is not meant to be a parenting podcast, by the way. Let's do it. I got three kids. <laughs> <laughs> But it is, it's really funny though. I think when you think of like the traits that you pass on to another person, I mean, obviously you're such a great example of that, of like persevering, working for things that you want, like kind of going back to the well to put in that work. Honestly, people like you fascinate me that don't like, that didn't have necessarily that like God-given talent to just go out and had all of those tools. You busted your ass to do every single one of those things. Was there ever a time that you did kind of think maybe this isn't for me and I'm not going to do this. Well, I wasn't, I was going to go back to the parenting podcast, but I'll answer Let's that question. Let's go. No, take it well, back. I take it back. Great, I had this great parenting moment this weekend because my nine-year-old was, uh, she was procrastinating about doing some math homework because she didn't want to do it. And we kind of had like a little bit of an argument about it on Saturday. And then Sunday morning I woke up and she was like, dad, I was going to watch a show this morning. And then I heard you I heard you say, I heard your voice in my head and I went and got my math homework done and I'm done with it. Yes. yes that's what I'm talking about. Yes. <laughs> so that was great. Hell yeah. There's nothing like being able to fully relax and enjoy the thing that you want to enjoy when you know that you already did the work so you can just like be in that enjoyment mode. Really is. I so, love that. Um, no, for me, it was my, my freshman year of college. I, t- I talk about it a lot in the book. Um, so by the end of high school, I, you know, I had starting to achieve at really high levels. I went to college with really, really big aspirations. And then I was like, getting my ass kicked in the room every day. And I talk about this a lot in like, wrestling is unique in the sense that there's not really another sport like it at the college level. Like if you're not the guy, you know, if you're in basketball, go sit on the bench. If you're in football, go sit on the bench. If you're in something like track and field, you're just kind of like looking at the people running in front of you because they're faster, you know? And in wrestling, if you're not the guy, you're getting your face rubbed in the mat every day, you know? So it's like you're getting physically dominated. And you can't do anything about it. It sucks. And so, 
Yeah, my my first semester of college was a lot like that. I lost a lot of matches that I didn't want to lose. I was getting my butt kicked in the room every day. And that was kind of, um, you know, I talked earlier about hard work, but then also about problem solving and that, that problem solving and creating scrambling. And essentially, I kind of created a new style of wrestling by, and it wasn't, I didn't create all the moves, but I, I, I studied a lot of people and I was like, oh, I can use that. Oh, that will be good for this. And I kind of like aggregated a lot of the things that were happening and put them into like a singular package essentially. And then I was able to tie certain things together. And that was when I really like, I started, you know, getting really good, really, really fast. I don't know if you talk about this in the book, but I know you talk about in your documentary, The Funk, um, when you're talking about how you would picture these these uh, these wrestling matches and they would just be going on in your head, whether it was you, whether you're watching somebody else. Um, was that ever a thing that kind of got in the way of socialization for you because you were so laser focused on wrestling? No, because I didn't care. <laughs> like, I feel like you'd be like out on a date and like just be zoned out. And I'm saying this because I'm married to a wrestler that sometimes I'm like, are you fucking with me? What's happening right now? And I know he's thinking about a promo. He's thinking about a match he's doing. Do you ever get lost in it? Half the time my wife says, what are you thinking about? It's like, oh, wrestling. Yeah, it's like that meme of like the woman looking over. She you must be thinking about other women. No, thinking about tying somebody up in a knot and doing whatever. <laughs> yeah, so no, I was, so I, was, I was very singularly focused on being good at wrestling. So other things may have tried to get in the way of wrestling, but wrestling never got in the way of anything else because it, it was the thing. It was the way. I was relatively good at school, uh, meaning I didn't have to like try that hard to be good at it. And I picked a relatively easy major in geography. So I didn't have to like try, put a lot of mental effort into school to get, you know, I got like a 3.2. I wasn't on a roll. What do you do with a geography major? No, I knew I, I wanted to be a wrestling coach. So um, oh, well, okay. then I ended up fighting. I thought I was going to be a college wrestling coach at Mizzou where I wrestled at. Um, that was MMA. You know, when I went to college, MMA wasn't even a thing. I went to college in 2002. That was like the dark ages of mixed martial arts. And, you know, MMA didn't become a, a real thing probably for people to do like 2005, six, seven is when it really started happening. Yeah. So I thought I was gonna be called dressing coach. And you know, now uh, that Max and I, my brother, that's my brother, we opened wrestling academy in 2011. And now we have five of them. I wish I would have went to school for business because I had to learn a lot of the lessons the hard way, unfortunately. When you were wrestling, you're, you know, dominating, kicking ass. What was your record? 153 and six. Do I have that right? College was one fifty three and eight. And I lost seven times this. Well, this guy actually, the guy who's at my house on Saturday because he's the head coach at Oregon State now, <laughs> and he's recruiting some of our athletes. So I lost eight times and I lost seven times to the same guy. That motherfucker. Yeah, I joke if he didn't exist, I'm the second greatest college wrestler of all time. <laughs> okay, so while you are still, in fact, crushing it, but MMA pops up on the scene. What were like your first? memories of being like, wait, what's happening over here? What is MMA? Especially with like what MMA was then versus what it's turned into now. My very, very first memory. I remember my dad brought home a VHS tape. The first MMA, uh, first UFC was 1993. So I'm guessing it was 93, 94, 95, something more close to the very beginning. And it was like bizarre, you know, at that point they were doing the eight men enter one man's leaves as if, uh, you know, seven of them are dying or something. That's some like pro wrestling shit right there. I yeah, like it. Yeah, it really is. But that's why it got banned everywhere is because, you know, they had this type of thing going on. So then it obviously went through like that, that dark period where it was get, getting banned. It only was legal in, I think, four states by the late 90s, you know, everywhere banned it. And then Zufa bought it in 2002. And then, you know, it, it took them a while to, to get it going again. So I do remember in college, probably not the first couple of years, but probably towards the end, me and a lot of my college teammates would, you know, get together and and whether it was like finding the VHS or sorry, VHS, DVD at that point, DVD after the fact or buying some of the pay-per-views, we would definitely do that. We definitely enjoyed it as a team. And obviously a handful of guys from that team ended up going on and fighting. Yeah, just like those early years of something happening, it's it's really cool to be able to see something progress the way that it has like right before our very eyes especially like I mean I'll always be like a homer for like the women's division and seeing how far that stuff has come holy crap it's crazy but before we get into more MMA stuff one thing I just wanted to run back to is when you were a kid and had to drop 30 pounds to like get you where you needed to be to like really hone your body hone your athleticism what was that like going through that at like such a young age is I guess maybe easier so, so this is the thing my wife is like, sometimes I just decide I'm going to do something and I just do it and I don't think much about it. And then, you know, 
15 years later, you're like, wow, that's pretty unique. So as an 11 year old kid, I was, I was fat, fat for sure. Like you can look at the pictures in the book. Like I was not like I was skinny. So I didn't, uh, I, it wasn't like I was cutting weight in a sense. So in wrestling, cutting weight means like a, uh, a quick drop, like you're sweating, that type of stuff. It's very scary. I would be terrible at it. No one would want to be around me. <laughs> yes, it, that happens. Um, but uh, no, so I, I was just fat and I needed to, I wanted to lose weight and I wanted to be in shape. So yeah, I made the commitment to stop doing a whole bunch of things that I knew were unhealthy, like say drinking soda, eating fast food, et cetera, et cetera. So I just told my parents, hey, I'm not, I'm not doing that stuff anymore. And yeah, I lost 30 pounds and I didn't get back to 130 pounds. So that was like going into sixth grade. Um, and then I didn't get back to 130 pounds until my sophomore year of high school. Wow. You know, unfortunately, I think there's too many kids and adults, uh, for that matter, these days that live really unhealthy lives and have unhealthy diets. I know, like, you should love yourself for you and that and that shenanigans. But um, just from, like, a longevity standpoint, being fat is really, really bad for you. Like, bad for your health, bad for your longevity, kind of bad for everything. Like, we, we, sh- we should strive to be as healthy as possible. Um, that means eating right and working out. And, you know, listen, I don't have an amazing physique. And I got a little fat when I had my hip surgery. But I'm at, like, a nice, healthy weight. And I, I plan on staying here for the rest of my life. Listen, you had a hip surgery very young in life. I think you're allowed to pack on a couple uh, pounds. Should you feel absolutely. like it? <laughs> Should you feel like it? But no, I agree with you. It's like, you know, just getting up and moving your body. Like, I, of course, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, same situation of like, hey, look the way you want to look, feel the way you want to feel. But I know that I feel best when I'm moving around, I'm doing stuff. I'm like my mind body awareness is just at like a, a much better spot. God, I love a bag of chips, though, <laughs> but hey, we all have our vices. We all have our vices. Um, okay, so you enter the MMA world. What are some of like the big differences between working Bellator, one championship, and then eventually uh, landing at UFC? I wouldn't say like from a fighting standpoint, there's really that much of a difference. You know, at the end of the day, they lock you in some type of cage. Uh, they have different shapes because, you know, UFC won't let anyone use octagon, so they have slightly different shapes, but... Um, at the end of the day, the cage door locks and you have to fight another person. It's not like there's 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 a few little tiny different rules, um, but not not too much different. Um, I think for me, the fun thing with with Bellator One Championship was I I got to see those organizations grow from their infancy. And obviously, by the time I was in the UFC, um, you know they, they were huge, right? And I had I'd also cornered a lot of people through the years, so I kind of knew what to expect when I got to the UFC. But yeah, Bellator, I think I fought in Bellator fourteen. And I think they're on, I'll, let me look it up so I don't mess this up, Bellator. They're on Bellator like 288, you know? So wow. I started, yeah, oh so gosh. I was like, I was, I was set, they, at that point they did seasons. They did like 12 or 13 episodes per season. I was in season two. So I was like in the infancy of Bellator and then one championship. They're probably also on like, uh, I would say probably uh, on a similar number type of thing, you know, yeah, in they've the, gotta be up maybe there. close to 200. They're, they're on 162. And I think I was on Bell, uh, 1FC 14. So, um, you know, I got to see these organizations start from the infancy and grow up. And now, you know, they're arguably two and three in the world. Um, they've kind of been there for a while. So I, I think that was really cool. So you thought you were going to be hanging up your boots when you're in Singapore, uh, wrapping it up with one championship only to go swerve. You're getting traded for Demetrius Johnson. Was that a mind fuck to you? I mean, I know UFC, of course, must have been that like, I got to go do this. But when you mentally are like, I'm retiring, did you truly believe you were retiring? Or was this that MMA thing where you're like, I know I'm going to come back? No, no, I retired. I mean, I, th- I thought there was a slim chance um, of of. So my, you know, my demands, uh, and if, you know, I don't know if you call them demands, I didn't, I didn't send anything specifically, but I said, Hey, if I'm going to come back, it's because I want to be, try to be the best in the world. I don't want to make any more money or have any more fights to be famous. I just want, I want to fight the best guys. Cause when I left Bellator in 2013, I thought I was going to be head of the UFC. I was ranked number seven in the world. The contract didn't work out. I talk about that in the book. And so I went to one championship. Uh, I was there undefeated for another four years. Um, and, you know, essentially I said, like, you know, I've kind of done everything I can do. Um, and I don't feel like I have any challenges. And I, I have read a lot of athletic biographies. I know everyone hangs on too long. So I want to be yeah. done. So I said, yeah. I'm done. And I, and I meant it. And I said, the only way I'd ever come back is to do the only thing I never got to do, which is fight the guys ranked above me. You know, I fought guys who were 10, 12, 14, but I never fought, you know, five, six, those, those ones. And so that's the only reason I'll come back. And so um, 
I thought there was a slim chance of it happening. I thought probably the most likely scenario would be one championship chooses to release me, and then I could go and sign with the UFC or something to that effect. Uh, maybe one FC, maybe they assign some big uh, welterweight name, and he's ranked four, and I come back and I fight him because you know that's what I said I would do. I thought that was you know probably more of a possibility. So the trade was not really something that I thought. But yeah, I mean, the second I heard about it, I was super excited because. Yeah, I mean, I fought in mixed martial arts for nine years and never got the opportunity. I mean, that's one of the things that sucks. I, I like fighting, but there are some, in my opinion, negative things about it. And one of them is what Chell Sutton likes to call competitive architecture. So in amateur wrestling, if you think you're the best in America, you go wrestle at the U.S. Open. It's open to anybody, you know? And if you're the best, you're going to win. And then you know what? America's going to send you to the world championships, and everyone's going to be there. And if you're the best, you're going to win. And you're going to be the best in the world. But in MMA, because of the different contracts and different organizations, sometimes you don't get to see that for many years. You know, something like, like uh, Makachev, who just won the lightweight title. You know, some people are saying he was the best in 2018. Well, it took him till 2022 to get a title shot. The business side gets in the way sometimes. Yes, the business side gets in the way. And so, you know, if I could change MMA there, and I realized because of the contracts and the organizations, the difficulty in doing this, but it would be like, hey, every single year, we're going to find who the best is. We're going to throw everyone in there. We're going to figure it out. I, you know, I would have to design the way to do it, but I think, that, I think everyone loves to see that because in wrestling, no one says, oh, I'm the best in the world, and they don't go win the world. Everyone would be like, no. Like, if you think you're the best, go wrestle. If you're retired or you're done, then you don't get to say the best anymore. <laughs> yeah, later. it's unforgiving. Get out there and do it or zip it. 100%. Okay, so the trade happens. Demetrius Johnson goes to uh, to one. You're now at UFC. What is that first meeting with Dana like? You guys obviously had a somewhat tumultuous relationship <laughs> leading into We never had a first meeting. You didn't? No, I talked to... So, yeah, I mean, I was on the phone a few different times. And then the guy I ended up talking to a lot was Hunter Campbell. So I flew to Vegas because I wanted to do some stuff. I'm trying to think. I don't think Dana was even there the first time I went, maybe in December. Um, yeah, so I, t I talk about this in the book. And it's funny because um, the book was started being written in 2020. And then the only time I ever had full conversations with Dana was during the Jake Paul thing because he hates Jake Paul. <laughs> yes, he does. He does. That was the only time we had conversations. So never even when I was in UFC, I mean, it was a text here, text there maybe, but not like, hey, call and talk for Tim, nothing. Never oh like that. Oh my God. And to, well, to me, it was whatever. To me, I don't give a shit. I'm here to fight. I'm here. I said, there's, I said, there's one thing I wanted to do and I wanted to try to prove I was the best in the world. I'm not here to be friends with Dana. I'm not here to do I'm here to fight. And that was it. You know? So it was kind of like, I, I don't care, whatever, you know? I mean, that just seems like such a like... A, like mental fuckery of like, does my boss even want me here? Like, what's this relationship? If you guys hadn't really talked, like, I know obviously you guys would, you know, maybe be ships passing in the night at like press conferences and whatnot. But like, did that ever get in your head or you were just there to do what you needed to do? You didn't give a shit about the business side. That was it. I, I did not care. Just, just wanted to go do what I wanted to do. And I knew, you know, I finally had the opportunity to do it after all those years. And so I wasn't going to worry about being besties with Dana, I, you know, I think we had maybe a few like 30 second, one minute conversations, a few text messages and that was it. But there was nothing extended until, like I said, after the book was being written, uh, you know, like April of 2021, that'd probably be about it. What about just being a polarizing character within the MMA world? How much do you think that helps someone throughout their career in terms of like, so I mean, yeah. Yeah. If someone doesn't have that, like, let's talk a little shit. Let's make, you got to make people care one way or the other. You have people feeling indifferent. That's when, I mean, no one wants to see that. We're still here entertaining people, right? Yeah. You have to be entertaining. You have to be uh, someone that people care about. And I think, you know, the best way you can do that is to be you. Which is like the hardest advice to give to someone, right? Because they're like, I don't know what that means if it's not working. No, just be unapologetically you. But there's so many people who think, oh, I'm on this stage. I have to act this way now, right? And then then a lot of them end up acting like the exact same, you know? And then so when it's someone who just is willing to, you know, be themselves and act like, you know, like me, then it kind of sticks out, you know? And then there's some people like Conor McGregor, like, I don't know, I would just venture to guess that's how he is in everyday life. He probably gives his friends shit and, and that's normal for him. I mean, I know I had so many college teammates who were just like, 
tease each other and be, they would be totally hilarious. And then they get in front of a camera and you're, and they're lame. And you're like, wait, wait, no, no, you're hilarious. Like, <laughs> why'd you stop being hilarious? You know, just like be funny. And same thing with guys in the gym. It's like you see guys in the gym and they're funny and they're charismatic and they get in front of a camera and then all of a sudden they, they think they'd be all serious or something different. So yeah, I think if you got to make people care, you know, that, that was a big reason why I got so popular so fast. And you know, the funny thing for me though is, I felt like I was the same person everywhere else. And, you know, but it took me like nine years to become, and then all of a sudden my popularity went like this, you know, like straight up. You think the timing of everything, the way that it worked out for you throughout your career to end up at UFC when you did, is that the way that you would have written it or would you have gone earlier? Oh yeah, I would have gone way earlier because obviously I would have been, you know, I, I think I would have done significantly better by the time I was in the UFC. My 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 hip was shot. I I just, yeah, I was at the end of my rope. So I wish it would have been in 2013 when I ended my Bellator contract. Um, I would have went right over, and then yeah, I think I think it would have been more competitive. And then I would also I would have got to retire young like I wanted to, which you know I still didn't hang on that long. I, I ended up retiring at 35, um, but I probably would have liked doing it a few. Years would you have still needed that hip replacement? Yeah. What was that like? I mean, it's awesome because I feel so much better. I wish I now. I mean, if I could have like told my uh, self what it would have felt like. I would have done it. The second I retired from one championship, I would have done it. Right? So I would have retired and done it right away. I, I didn't even realize, after the surgery, I didn't realize all the problems it was causing. You know, it was one of those things where I woke up after, you know, so you go in the surgery at like 7 a.m., you know, and then uh, you're under, right? And then you wake up at noon or whatever the hell you, you know, I don't recall what time it was. Um, and, you know, for one of the things, it was like my other side of my back. So my, I got my left hip done and I always knew all the left hip left back problems were my hip, but then you wake up and my right back doesn't hurt. And I'm like, wait, why doesn't my back hurt over that's woke? It's hurt every single morning for the last five <laughs> yeah. years, you know, like, why doesn't it hurt? And you're like, oh, I'm on pain pills. Maybe that's it. And then all of a sudden it never hurts. And then all of a sudden it never hurts again, ever. Do you have to like replace the hip replacement at a certain point or are you good for a while? My doctor said, he actually just retired, but he said he'd been doing them since 2004 so this is 2020 when I got it done. He said he'd never replaced any of them yet. Zero. Great. So I got the Birmingham hip. It was it's a newer procedure. Is that just done in Birmingham, you mean? I actually think it was I think it was Birmingham, England that it was I, I think that's where it came I think that's where the name comes from. Yeah. Oh, I thought you were like in Alabama. No, no, no I, I went to Cleveland. But the guy retired, <laughs> oh, okay. unfortunately. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, so most most people have the hip. Uh I mean it's it's I don't want to say it's like common in wrestlers, but it's relatively common because I think it does put, you know, excess stress. But a lot of it is from the wearing of the cartilage. But I had some bone spurs and I had labrum tear. I, yeah, kind of had a handful God. of things going on there. Well, hey, welcome back to feeling better. Oh, man, it's, it's so awesome. Like I said, if, if I would have known what the results would have been, I, I definitely would have done it earlier. And so that's why when I, when I talked to other wrestlers who were in pain and they're like, oh, I'm thinking about getting it done. Because I felt the same way, like, oh, this isn't that terrible. I can just, you know, I'll be fine. It's crazy how you guys just live like that because you just get used to the pain, right? It just, it is what it is and it's part of your day. It's the new normal. Oh my gosh. Know, Anyways, right? you and my husband can be best friends. I'll have him call you up and you guys can have there a little uh, chit chat about Seriously. it all. Football season is underway. So now is the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Because right now, new customers get a no sweat first bet up to $1 thousand dollars that's free bets back if your first bet doesn't win just sign up now with the promo code renee r-e-n-e-e FanDuel has all of your favorite bets from the money line to point spreads to player props you can combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with the same game parlay and with live betting you'll get updated odds on games that have already started and the app is safe secure and super easy to use and you get paid your winnings real super duper fast. So sign up today. Use the promo code Renee, R-E-N-E-E, -E, for your no sweat first bet. Make every moment more this season with FanDuel, the official sportsbook partner of the NFL. Disclaimer, 21 in select states. First online real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable free bets that expire 14 days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG for Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, and Virginia. 
1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 for Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat for Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT for Indiana. 1-877-770-STOP for Louisiana. 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 for New York. The TN Red Line, 1-800-889-9789 for Tennessee, 1-800-522-4700 for Wyoming, or visit www.1800gambler.net for West Virginia. Okay, let's talk Triller. What was it like when this opportunity came up? You mentioned Jake Paul earlier, um, but when this opportunity came up and you saw everything that was going on with Triller for you to get in there and have a boxing match. I don't think Triller had anything to do with it in the beginning. It was just, so it was a tweet. I, I tweeted a couple of times, like I do many times. I just, I enjoy Twitter. I <laughs> answer back and forth on there. Yeah. And then someone called me the next week and they're like, oh, are you really serious? Would you really fight him? And I'm like, uh, I, I was just tweeting at the time, but yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> you know, uh, I haven't worked out since I had my hip done, but uh, yeah, I'll fight him. Um, and then, yeah, then it, it got serious uh, and I committed to it and, now, unfortunately, we know he's a lot better boxer than everyone thought he was. It's really funny because there's a lot of people who really, really, really don't want to give him any credit. And listen, I don't. I have. I'm kind of indifferent to him, but I definitely like, don't like like the guy. It would be more like a negative indifferent than a positive indifferent. But like, I don't know. It seems like he's actually pretty good. Way better than I thought he was going to be. I hope he sucked and I was going to beat him up. I mean, that was my plan. What do you think about what he's done for the sport of boxing? I don't think he's really done anything. No? That's, no, it's like... Even just in terms of like paydays even? No, nothing. Wow, Zero. okay. I judge things by my, my Twitter timeline. And just based on how many people were talking about it... That can be scary. I feel like it's a good gauge. It's a good informal gauge of, of in my world, right? Because my Twitter timeline is based on my world. Wrestling, mixed martial arts, some disc golf, like things that I'm interested in. But so I have a pretty good gauge of it. It's a huge UFC, like uh, UFC, what was it, 280? The one that was a couple weeks ago, Peter Yan, uh, Sugar Sean. Like my timeline was going nuts over that. You know, there was just like so many tweets and people talking about it. And then you know, the Jake Paul fight didn't actually seem even that popular. Not that people were talking about it. Yeah, not as much as they have in the past. That's for sure. So I think, I think this stick might be getting old. And, you know, I think obviously he's really popular and there were a lot of people who want to see him box and they want to see if he's actually tough or he can actually fight. And I, I think he established at least he has a baseline of competency and he's kind of tough. Um, so now I think people are like, oh, okay, whatever. And as when he's gone, like, is it going to increase the overall popularity of boxing? And I think, I don't know, that's kind of unlikely. Like, people are going to go back to watching and how much they did. They're not going to like... I think there's very few people who discover boxing because of Jake Paul and be like, oh, wait, there's this thing called boxing? I never knew that existed. And now because of that, I really like it. Like, I think the number of those people is really small. What about Anderson Silva? What is your reaction to seeing Anderson Silva, one of the greatest to ever step inside a cage for him uh, kind of entering this world and what, what all just went down with him and Jake Paul? I didn't want I fell asleep with my wife on Saturday night. Uh, I did not watch it. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously, like I said, Jake is, uh, people don't want to ad admit it, but he seems to be actually pretty good at boxing. I mean, Anderson's one of the better MMA strikers of all time. Obviously, in, in MMA, you have elbows and knees and kicks. Also, boxing, you have hands, but then he beat, uh, he beat, um, Julio Cesar Chavez Jr., who had a lot of success in boxing. So yeah, Anderson's good. So yeah, I think a lot of people don't want to give Jake his credit and it feels like, hey, you know what? It seems like he put his time in. He has developed a base level of competency in this. Give him his credit. But then yeah, I think there's like a lot of people who are kind of like not that interested anymore. And what was the deal that he wanted you to sign a contract for your fight after you already signed your first contract that you weren't allowed to use any MMA? Yeah, so they called me, they being his... I think it's his manager. I'm not sure exactly what the relationship is, but then the guy was also helping Triller a little bit, also. Um, so yeah, you know, there was it was it's a little murky. What exactly? But the guy claimed that Triller wanted me to sign this, and then by the end of the conversation, to me, to me, it was evident that it was Jake, not Triller. You know, trying to push this thing. He said, "Hey, Jake's really worried you're going to do uh, MMA moves. You know, maybe kneeing or kicking or elbowing or something." So how about how about every time you do one, you get $100,000 taken away? And I mean, my first, you know, I, I said this to someone else, but I didn't say this. My first was like, okay, like, 
Say like I trip him. Who's going to determine that's a non-boxing move? Like who's going to be the, who's going to be the judge in this one? Like are you going to hire the judge? Like who's going to judge what a what a boxing move is? You know. I mean, finding judges is hard enough as it is. I mean, <laughs> for real. Good lord, it's preposterous. So, um, <laughs> yeah. So then at the end, so then I'm like, well, you know what? Maybe I can win here. I said, how about if I don't? You give me like double my purse then. And they're like, no. I'm like, well, then why would I do it? <laughs> And I'm yeah. like, this is dumb. Like, no, go away. Piss and off. So, yeah. Leave me alone. Then they left me alone. They never bugged me about that again. One more fight-related thing, and then we're moving on to disc golf. But um, Gable Steveson, what do you think about him joining pro wrestling instead of going the MMA route? Uh, I think that's what he wanted to do, and I think he's going to be really good at it. He obviously was about as good as it gets in uh, you know, amateur and Olympic wrestling. So, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to see how he does. I think... Maybe the talking is, you know, that's probably going to be the part where he's really got to work. Uh, he's got because I think from an athletic standpoint, he's going to pick everything else up like that. So excited to see how he does. Why don't you dabble in pro wrestling? Because I feel like you're like cut for it. <laughs> you would be great. Maybe Gable can hire me as his manager. There you go. Be a mouthpiece. Yeah. <laughs> uh, by the time I actually went and visited WWE Performance Center in 2000, it was right after my hip surgery, 2020. Uh, and by that point, it was just like um, I would have I would have had fun doing like a one-off type thing where you know maybe I do one date or some something maybe a couple. But I really just I want to coach wrestling, you know. So my brother and I have the wrestling academies. I really love it. I don't want to travel and be away from my family at this point in my life. I couldn't ever imagine myself doing it. Maybe they gave me a whole bunch of money. They said like 18 months. And then I could be well, done. I mean, but even those then, contracts it's like, do exist. Yeah. I'll just put that your way. <laughs> yeah, well, they do yeah, exist. I don't know it if could I'm be quite a that popular. Maybe if I was a little more popular, then uh, that'd be the case. I don't know. Listen, we should bring you over to uh, AEW. You can like hang out with Dan Lambert. You guys can do some like American Top Team shit. <laughs> I love I love Dan Lambert. He's the best. Yeah, he's great. Okay, disc golf. Why do you love it? What is going on with this? When do you play it? What is it? Have you ever played? No. Oh well, you guys try. I don't even know really how it works. Like I've heard, I I I live in Cincinnati. Oh my God, there's a couple great courses in Cincinnati. Really? (laughs) Yes, there is. I've played them. Uh, Idlewild is it's a. I think it might be a top ten in the world. Really? Um, Yeah. uh, The more you know. I got my app out here. I'm looking. (laughs) Wait, Uh, there's an app that tells you where they all are. That's great. Are you? you Is it like a league or a team? Look at this. Okay, so there's Cincinnati. Hold on, I just want to make sure you can see. See, there's Cincinnati right there. Holy, those are all spots? Right? Those are all courses right around Cincinnati. So, yeah. So, um, there's t- Mount, Mount Airy is a nice course. I don't know if you know where that is. Um, so, basically, I, I played a couple times in high school, and then a lot of my college teammates played. And I just got I got addicted. Like, I kind of get obsessed with certain things. Um, and, and then I started competing, so then I wanted to be better at it, and... So I, I got to be relatively high level competency in disc golf. Um, and then I, I built a course. My, my goal is to always build a course on my property. So I didn't Stop. have to leave or go anywhere. Yeah. So I have 23 holes here at my house. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. Do your kids play and stuff? Uh, so I built the kids course within the normal course because the kids can't really throw that far. My daughter, my daughter, my nine-year-old daughter plays a little bit. Seven-year-old is like, she'll walk around with us and four, the, at four, they can't really like throw it all. So they don't, yeah. Okay, I'm stupid, but how does this work? I don't really understand. It's just like golf. You throw, and then wherever it lands, you throw again until you get it. There's a, it's a basket is uh, oh. what you're aiming for. And then you get in a basket. Golf, but frisbee. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but it's way more fun. Way better. That sounds way better. I couldn't. I, can you golf? Are you a good golfer? No, golfing's expensive. It takes so long. I don't have five hours in my day to go <laughs> golf. Disc golf, I can walk out my back door. I can play in... You know, 45 minutes, an hour, something like that. Is it like a drinking game too or just hanging? Not for me, but yeah, a lot of people drink and, and um, you know, they. I had, one time I got pulled over. Um, this is a funny story. Every, a, lot of, a lot of disc golfers smoke weed. I do not. But yeah, one time I got pulled over and the, the I was pulling into the disc golf park and the, and the, the cop demanded because he searched my car because he knows, well, I know what you disc golfers do. And I'm like, dude, like, I'm not smoking weed. Like, leave me alone. Let me go play disc golf. And he demanded, he, he made me get on my car to so search my car. Stop. It was so annoying. Yes. Oh, yes, my God. A lot of disc golfers do that. But I do not. Hey, maybe it makes them more focused. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, <laughs> Who knows? That's fine. You Who guys know? should try it sometime. Maybe no, I would try hobby. it. I would try that. We used to live. We used to live out in Vegas, and we lived. We backed onto a golf course, so that like kind of turned us off. Of like, neither one of us are golfers. Um, but that I think I could get into. I could get into like disc. What is it? Disc golf? Am I saying that disc right? Disc golf. Yep. Disc golf. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well. Frisbee golf is uh, frisbee and disc. They're different things. So a real. Dis- I don't care what you say, but real disc golfers might get upset if you say frisbee golf. I don't want them on yes, me. You do not. Hell no. <laughs> what is the difference? Is it like a weighted disc? Uh, a frisbee is kind of larger, uh, relatively the same weight, but they're much bigger. It's juvenile. It's juvenile compared to the the real disc. Is more dense and okay. it's, it's smaller. And um, there are, there's obviously a lot of different kinds of discs that can do a lot of different kinds of things. Is it easier to aim with the, being more uh, weighted? No, a regular frisbee would be easier to aim, but you couldn't you couldn't throw it. Probably not not as far. Interesting. Okay, well, listen, once I start dabbling, I'll, I'll let you know. You and your husband come up, hang out, uh, play some disc golf, and we'll have a good time. Great. Done and done. You guys do a tour stop in Milwaukee? Yeah, we're, we're in Milwaukee. Oh, gosh, I don't know when, but I'm sure at some point well, we'll there be you there. Get me, you get me in the ring. Done. And then I'll bring you out to the done, disc golf done, course. Done, done, done. Oh, my gosh, it's happening. I have full faith that this will happen. Okay. I'm going to keep you posted because we're going to get you out to the show. At a bare minimum, and then if we can go out and play some disc golf, I'm in 100%. I'd probably be good at it, I think. I'm overconfident in my abilities, but we'll see what happens. Well, Ben, I'm super happy that your book is out. Congratulations on all the early success already. Um, Keep crushing it. Everybody pick up this book. Give it a read. The guy is fascinating, especially if you want to learn more about thinking outside the box and just kicking ass as a human being and a professional fighter. He's your guy. All right. Thanks so much for having me. This is a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you. A big thanks to Ben Askren for hopping on here and hanging out with me. Um, I definitely need to get um, disc golf in my life. I need to make this happen. I think I'd be good at it. I feel pretty confident in my abilities. I got pretty good hand-eye coordination. Uh, I don't know how I am as a thrower. An overhand, maybe not so great, but like Frisbee style, I think I could be all right with that. So something to look into. And yes, when AEW is in his neck of the woods, I'm making him come to a show. This needs to happen. Um, Hopefully you guys enjoyed this. Definitely make sure to check out his book. You can order it off of Amazon. You can get it at Barnes & Noble. The book is called Funky, My Defiant Path Through the Wild World of Combat Sports. So check it out. Give it a read. He goes into, you know, much more detail on so many different topics throughout all these different things in his life. Um, It's it's all really, really fascinating stuff. So enjoy it. Check him out. Read the book. Let me know what you think. Do you guys think that Ben Askren could be cut out for the professional wrestling world? That new hip sounds like it's doing pretty good. I think we could get him in there, even if he just wants to be a mouthpiece. I would be happy with that. I think I could see him as a good manager. Food for thought. All right, guys, this has been The Sessions. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.